Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Previously on the Investor Download Energy Crisis Special. It's pretty clear a lot of continental European countries will be very dark and chilly if there was no Russian gas for the next 18 months, two years. You know, at the heart of why, you know, we have this energy crisis, it's not just because of Russia-Ukraine conflict, it's just lack of investment across the industry, full stop. Society needs to be able to have energy at a price that works for society, but they also need to have energy security so that they're not held hostage. But in the heat of a cost-of-living calamity fueled by an energy crisis, the hunger for cheap energy could come at a price. Diversification and energy security has come to the top of the agenda of government minds, almost pushing the climate part behind in the background. What the energy crisis means for the battle to contain climate change and countries' commitments to net zero, that's coming up in the final part of the Investor Download Energy Crisis Special. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Last month, miner BHP announced its profits had nearly tripled. Well, thanks to a big rise in iron ore and coal prices last financial year, BHP became a cash fountain, showering money on all those who have the good fortune to be standing under it. By contrast, some of the world's other biggest miners had spent the past few weeks reporting lower profits. Fears of a demand-sapping recession have hammered raw material prices and clouded the outlook. How did BHP buck the trend? Because of soaring demand at its Australian coal business. The big standout was BHP's coal division. As we know, as we've seen from the results of other coal mining companies in this result season, coal prices have been at record highs. It's boom time for coal miners, which have benefited from a surge in prices as the war in Ukraine has crimped exports from Russia. The price of coal has quadrupled from just over $100 per metric tonne to more than $400 today. And that's not just because supplies have been constrained and the European Union has slapped sanctions on Russia. It's because demand from around the world has soared. Coal prices and coal stocks, they continue to go up as global power demand soars. Belgium's Prime Minister has called for the European Union to buy energy collectively as fears mount of a potential crisis this winter linked to the conflict in Ukraine. That is forcing many within the EU to contemplate once again turning to coal to keep the lights on. Global coal consumption is forecast to rise by 0.7% in 2022 to 8 billion tonnes, matching the annual record set in 2013. And coal demand is likely to increase further next year to a new all-time high, driven by the increased use of coal as a replacement for gas in the electricity sector. That's according to the latest report by the International Energy Agency. However, coal is dirty. It's bad for the environment and it's bad for our health. It produces nitrogen oxides, which contribute to smog and respiratory illnesses, and carbon dioxide, which is the primary greenhouse gas produced from burning fossil fuels. Coal combustion is more carbon intensive than burning natural gas or petroleum for electric power production. 
Although coal use accounted for about 54% of CO2 emissions from the sector, it represented only 20% of the electricity generated in the United States in 2020, according to the Energy Protection Agency. But it's cheaper and easier to acquire than other cleaner fuels, which is why countries have turned to coal in the midst of an energy crisis. Now, as EU nations continue to search for new alternative sources of gas supplies to cater to the demand amid a looming energy crisis in Europe, Austria's government has now said that it would reopen a previously closed coal power station in order to meet the energy demands. Meanwhile, German government has also said that it will take emergency measures to ensure it meets the energy needs. Reports suggest that the government is now eyeing on coal-fired power plants. Obviously, you understand why they're doing that. They've got no other flexibility, and what they can't have is the lights going out on everyone in the country. That's Mark Lacey, a fund manager at Schroders. It's disappointing to see when you look from an environmental perspective. But with energy costs rising and so many people facing fuel poverty as the Northern Hemisphere winter months approach, countries may have no other option than to return to coal to prevent a humanitarian crisis. For instance, an estimated 10.2 million households across the UK could be in fuel poverty by January 2023. That's according to the End Fuel Poverty Coalition. Policy globally is about energy security and food security. That's the times we live in right now. These are the two priorities for governments. The needs of the world right now are currently outweighing the needs of the future. I think the thing that's um, become clear is, is that there's a tension between um, the, the, the climate agenda, where we need the Germans to stop burning coal and lignite, and um, to go to cleaner forms of generation renewables. That's Richard Norse, founder of Greencoat Capital a specialist manager dedicated to the renewable energy infrastructure sector and a company in which Schroders owns a majority stake. I feel that society should ensure that people who need to stay warm um, do get access to the energy that they need to stay warm. But going back to coal as a major source of fuel will only fuel our climate issues. According to the United Nations, global greenhouse gas emissions are expected to rise by 14% by 2030, compared to 2010. The reliance on dirtier fuels and its impact on countries' net zero targets, that's coming up in the next part of the show. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash investor download. Even in the midst of an energy crisis, it's hard to escape the effects of climate change. The UK is experiencing its worst drought in nearly 50 years. I've lived here all my life, I'm 24, and I've never seen it so dry. And it makes me worry that if I'm still here in 20, 30, 40 years' time, what the farm's going to look like then. In China, authorities are battling one of the worst droughts seen in more than 50 years. Falling river levels have left hydroelectric power stations unable to produce enough energy. As a result, emergency measures to save electricity have come into effect. A sea of flames washes across a national park in central Portugal. In France, the fire season has also been relentless, displacing thousands of people. If you have any question about the reality of the climate crisis, all you have to do is look to the west and the Colorado River Basin. The Colorado River is about 20% smaller than it was just 20 years ago. That river supplies water to seven states and 40 million people. Now the system that sustains it is simply no longer robust enough to maintain that output. 
Yet while weather conditions brought on by climate change become more extreme, the energy crisis is forcing countries to burn fuels that accelerate the problem. And burning dirtier fuels puts global net zero targets at risk. The, the, main, the main net zero targets are 2030 and 2050. And, and those targets are centred around the IPCC report. We did a full show on that report, which we'll link to in the show notes. But in brief, the Earth is already about 1.1 degrees centigrade warmer than it was in the late 1800s. And emissions continue to rise. To keep global warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius, as called for in the Paris Climate Agreement, Emissions need to be reduced by 45% by 2030 and reach net zero by 2050. Each country has a different approach to meeting those targets. But even before the energy crisis, there were concerns those targets would be unobtainable. Um, The 2050 targets are, are a stretch based on the current investment rates. Clean energy investment grew by only 2% a year in the five years after the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015. But since 2020, the pace of growth has accelerated significantly to 12%. Global energy investment is set to increase by 8% in 2022 to reach $2.4 trillion, with the anticipated rise coming mainly in clean energy, according to a new report by the International Energy Agency. However... That's still well short of what's needed. We are not spending enough in renewables already on an annual basis. We need to double the spending rates in renewable generation, transmission and distribution. We need to quadruple the spending rates in battery storage and charging infrastructure. Um, So we need to increase the spending rates just to meet the net zero targets for 2050. This was prior to the crisis. Now, we do think you'll see a capital response come through into the renewable markets, but I still don't think it'll be sufficient to meet the 2015 net zero targets. In economic terms, spending on physical assets on the course to net zero would reach about 275 trillion US dollars by 2050, or 9.2 trillion dollars per year on average. An annual increase of 3.5 trillion dollars, according to a report by McKinsey. To put it in comparable terms, the $3.5 trillion increase is equivalent to about half of global corporate profits, one quarter of total tax revenue and 7% of household spending. The cost is huge, but the cost of not doing it could be catastrophic. So, So what will happen is you'll get this slow progression up of capital investment rates, slow, a decent growth rate in capital investment rates in renewables, As you go through 2030, 2035, I think then you're going to start to see almost panic investment rates coming through in renewables because we just are not spending enough on the infrastructure at this point in time. Norse agrees and he says longer term the cost of living crisis and worries over energy security will only accelerate the energy transition. To to be able to generate your your own energy within your national waters or your... um, you know, on your on your own landmass is perhaps I think now increasingly being seen as a as a necessity, um, a little bit like being able to produce your own vaccines. You know, in a world where previously we were very happy to see vaccine manufacturing concentrated in a couple of countries around the world, it took a pandemic for making people start to think that maybe they would want to put vaccine manufacturing factories in their own country. And and I think we're kind of seeing something that was obviously inherently obvious about renewables. It's generally local. But um, fundamentally, you know, it seems to me 
that, that, that the economics as well as the climate are aligned and, and therefore that's why it's going to happen so so each country's journey to to towards net zero will be different the time will be different and the factors that they face will be different take japan for instance it's a country of 120 million people living on a relatively small set of islands 70 percent of which are mountainous it's not very windy and much of the flat land that could be used to put solar panels on is already being used for farming. So to boost their energy security, they chose to go nuclear. But that plan came to an end after the tragedy at Fukushima. On March 11th, 2011, the Japanese islands were struck by an earthquake of enormous force. The earthquake that shook the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant was the most powerful to strike Japan since records began. Japan has been hit by its biggest earthquake since An explosion began. was heard and smoke seen at the power plant. The images of destruction and flooding coming out of Japan are simply heartbreaking. So, more recently, they've turned to coal. Japan has spent a lot of time thinking about um, uh, saving energy, and it's also spent a lot of time um, building out solar to the greatest extent it could. But rather concerningly, it's also been building coal-fired power stations, only developed country in the world outside of the US to be doing that. But it needed to do that because it truthfully didn't really have an alternative. I think what we're now going to see is, is that given that it buys a reasonable amount of Russian gas, were there to be a global boycott on Russian fossil fuels, then um, Japan will have to think about new sources of energy. Japan is just one example, but it shows just how difficult it's going to be to make the energy transition over the next two decades. We're at such an early stage on the energy transition investment phase, full stop, because this is a structural shift in global transportation and global power generation. And at the moment, sustainable, renewable energy generation or, or clean fuel system, for example, with hydrogen, is a tiny, tiny part of the overall energy mix. And so the frontier is actually ahead of us in energy transition theme full stop. So for the next five to ten years, I mean, it's absolutely obvious and clear that it's just built out of solar and wind and some, some, some biomass, but not, not much, and some hydro, but I think we're all more aware of the issues of, of hydro. As you start to increase the percentage of renewables on your system, there's a bunch of secondary needs that become clearer around how you um, manage the variability of the production. So uh, I think it's reasonably clear that the sun will continue to go down at night. So therefore you can't rely just on a solar system. You will need a battery to go with that or in the medium term, you may need a summer winter mechanism for storage. And I think that's where the, probably the other, the, the, the emerging frontier is going to be, which is the, the hydrogen market. And so that storage mechanism is seemingly most likely to be hydrogen. Um, and, and I think we, we feel that that will start to get to be very big, albeit that we're absolutely in the foothills of hydrogen and we need to get to Himalayas. So, so, so I think the next, next frontier where we're going to see most of the investment wind solar and then the thing that will emerge where most of the money will get deployed um, beyond wind and solar is hydrogen and then in addition we will need to have mechanisms such as demand response batteries um, pump storage etc to help cope with variability on um, on production and beyond the next 20 years so I'm not even going to look beyond the next 30 years because I think that's quite a big frontier. But whatever that next frontier might be, let's hope that coal won't be playing such a major part.
Here's what else investors are talking about. Growing social and environmental pressures are reshaping economies and industries before our eyes. This creates both risks and opportunities for investors whose portfolios need to reflect the changing world in which we live. Against this challenging backdrop, a forward-looking view of our fast-evolving world rather than relying on past success drivers will prove critical. Yet the growth of passive funds over recent years is unlikely to align with this focus, according to Rory Bateman, Schroeder's co-head of investment. You can read Rory's full article, Why Sustainable Investors May Rue Being Too Passive, at schroders.com forward slash insights, where you can read, watch and listen to much, much more. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroder's Podcast at Schroder's.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers the value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy.